This is the big question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and this is the last episode of The Big Question for the year 2021. We'll be taking a Christmas break and then coming back in the new year with plenty of new questions and answers. As a Christmas treat, I'll be answering two extra questions this episode. So we'll have questions from Stephen, Emmelyn, Sam VR, Joanna, Emerson, Benton, and Levi. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions, then we'll look at this episode's big question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. Let's start with our serious questions. We have three of them this time. The first comes from Stephen, who asks, why do we celebrate Christmas? Well, Stephen, Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus. The reason it's so important to celebrate Jesus' birth is because of who Jesus is. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, which means that he is fully divine. He's fully God. But when he was born to Mary, Jesus became fully human too. Now, he did this so that as a human, he could fulfill the law that Adam had broken. And doing that would show that he was perfectly righteous. Then Jesus would be able to sacrifice himself on the cross for our sin, which meant that through faith, his righteousness would be counted as our righteousness. And that way, even though we are sinful, we can stand before God as righteous, not based on our own goodness, but based on Jesus. Now, to do all that, Jesus had to be fully God and fully human. So we celebrate Christmas not just because it's the birth of Jesus, but because his birth was the beginning of this new kingdom of grace that God is building in us. Our next question comes from Emmeline. She asks, In school they taught us that prehistory was before there was any written language. But there are written records in the Bible starting at the creation of the world. Why is that? Well, Emil, in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, are all attributed to the authorship of Moses, and Moses lived during the reign of the pharaohs in Egypt. Now, he probably had access to and used earlier sources when he was writing, for example, the book of Genesis, especially on chapters 1 through 11, which cover the creation and the early history of the world up until the time of Abraham. And all of that stuff happened long, long before Moses was born. Now, I said he had access to writings. The question is, how far back did those documents go? Now, that's actually unknown because they didn't survive. They're not even mentioned by him, we just assume that there must have been something written down beforehand. And of course, the Holy Spirit could fill in the blanks for him as he was writing. The point is that the Bible as a written record does not go back to the beginning of the world. The story that the Bible records does, but the writing itself goes back to the days of Moses. Having said that, if the term prehistory is going to be helpful, I think the best way to think about that would not be before language or before written language even, 
but before there are surviving written records. Just because there's no writing that survives doesn't mean that no one wrote anything or that no one could write anything. It's just that until we have written records that are preserved, we don't have, obviously, any written history to rely on. And now Sam VR asks, do you have any pastors that you look up to? Absolutely, Sam. I have a lot of them. There are many pastors who have gone before me, who have influenced me and shaped me. Too many to name, but I'll, I'll just mention a few. Going all the way back uh, to Augustine, uh, John Calvin, more recently, uh, Eugene Peterson, and Tim Keller, who is still with us today. In my personal life, I've had some wonderful pastors as well. And I'm just going to mention one of them because you know him too. That's Pastor Wayne Reed, who is the pastor of Living Hope, which is our sister church not far outside Sioux Falls. Pastor Wayne did so much to shepherd our church and me personally in the early days that I think it's fair to say that we wouldn't be here, humanly speaking, if it wasn't for his pastoral work. And now it's time for the big question, which comes this time from Joanna. So let's give her a round of applause. Here's Joanna's question. Why do we take communion every week? Joanna, I love talking about this. I'm going to try to keep it brief, but I'll make no apologies for the fact that I'm really excited to talk about communion and why we take communion at Grace each week. Our worship services follow a particular pattern week in and week out. If you think about it, we do a lot of the same things over and over again. We are called to worship, we answer in song, we confess our sin, we receive pardon, we sing more praise, we offer up our prayers. But there are two big things that happen in our worship service that are really central. The Word of God is preached in a sermon, and then after that, when we've confessed our faith, we come forward for communion. Now, although the details of a service might change from church to church, a lot of the things that we do each week at Grace are also done at other churches every Sunday. For example, no matter what church you go to, the odds are that, that every church will be taking up an offering at some point, that every church that you go to will hear a sermon at some point in some form. But not every church will have communion. Some churches only do that once a month. Others do it even less frequently than that, uh, once every uh, couple of months, once every quarter, in some cases maybe just once a year. So the question is, why do we do communion every week, just like every other part of our worship service? Well, before you ask that question, there's a question you should ask first, which is this, why do we do anything in our worship services? Why do we do what we do? And why do we do what we do every week? If you can answer that question, then you can answer that question about communion more specifically. Now, we believe that God has not only called us to worship him, but that he's also told us how he wants us to worship him. 
Sometimes the Bible will say very explicitly, do this when you worship, so we do that. In other cases, the Bible tells us by example. We see something being done, and so we imitate that thing. For example, if you ask why do we worship on Sunday rather than Saturday? After all, the original Sabbath day was actually on Saturday. Now, some people will say we do that because it's the tradition of the ancient church, even though the Bible doesn't specifically say to do that, and we're just following that ancient tradition. But, in fact, the Bible shows us this change happening. The very first worship service that happens on a Sunday, which we call the Lord's Day, is actually recorded for us in Luke's Gospel in Luke chapter 24. We see Jesus, after the resurrection, on the very day of the resurrection, walking with two disciples who at first do not realize it's Jesus they're talking to. As they spend time together, Jesus preaches to them, and his subject is actually himself. He preaches himself. He preaches Christ to them using the Old Testament scriptures as his text. And then he breaks bread with them. And Luke says they didn't realize it was Jesus until that moment. He, he broke bread with them, and they knew him in the breaking of the bread. Now, that's in Luke 24. And later, when Christians were looking at the scripture and they were asking how to worship God, uh, what he commanded us to do, what he'd shown us, they could see this. And it made sense to them to worship God on the Lord's day, just as Jesus had shown us. Now, if you understand that, you understand why we have communion each week. The answer is because we don't see any reason in scripture not to. Jesus preached the word, then he broke bread. And those are the two fundamental parts of the worship service, the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. And no one wonders if we should have a sermon every week or if we should only pray once a month or only take up an offering once at the end of the year. Every other element of worship is done each time we gather for worship, more or less, because they're all part of the service that God has shown us. Communion is the same. The Westminster Confession says that the preaching of the word, uh, the administration of the sacraments and prayer are all means of grace. What that means is these are ways that the Holy Spirit works in us and through us to build our faith in God. So we need the preaching of the word. We need the administration of the sacraments. We need prayer week by week and day by day. And that's why God has given us these good gifts to enjoy. Before we close, let's answer a couple of fun questions. In fact, three of them. The first comes from Emerson, who asks, are you going to have a Christmas tree? Well, Emerson, the answer is not this year. We don't have a Christmas tree this year. Apparently, there's quite a Christmas tree shortage right now. It's difficult to find them. When we went out and looked last week, uh, there weren't very many trees to choose from. Fortunately, we already have a little tree that kind of looks like a, a sad, pathetic Charlie Brown Christmas tree. So we decided to just put some lights on that. and We're putting the presents around it. And now we're good to go. 
I'm going to miss, though, not having a big Christmas tree because I like to keep my Christmas tree throughout the year and I cut off little pieces of it and I use them to start fires in my fire pit because Christmas trees burn really easily, which is why you always need to be careful with Christmas trees inside the house. And now Benton asks, what is your favorite meme? Well, Benton, it's Christmas time, so I'll mention my favorite Christmas meme, which has a picture of the real-life St. Nicholas, who's the guy that Santa Claus is loosely based on. If you don't know, St. Nicholas was famous for something that he did at the Council of Nicaea, which is where we get the Nicene Creed. He slapped, or some people say he punched, a guy named Arius because Arius was teaching that Jesus was not really God. So the meme is this. We see St. Nicholas, and he says, I'm St. Nicholas. I'm here to give out gifts and punch heretics, and I'm all out of gifts. I think that's pretty cool. And now for our last fun question, and our last question of this episode, which means our last question of 2021, Levi asks, what do monsters eat? Levi, when I was your age, all the monsters were still pretty old-fashioned and traditional, and they ate the same diet that monsters have always eaten, mainly little boys. But these days, there's so many trendy diets, and things are changing. We have vegan monsters, and paleo monsters, and keto monsters, even intermittent fasting monsters. Now, all of this is good news for little boys and little girls, because none of these diets include children as menu items. Of course, this time of year, children's diets include a lot of cookies and candy and other sugary treats. And if you eat too much of those, then little boys and little girls can easily turn into monsters themselves. So be careful and don't be a monster this Christmas. Well, that's all for now, and that's all for this year. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Remember, this is our final episode of 2021, so we'll be taking a couple of weeks off. But don't worry, The Big Question will be back in mid-January. Until we return from our holiday break, remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. So never be afraid to ask and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. So... Until next year, keep asking the big questions.